Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and the Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hey, y'all. Jay Nice on the mic, back with another episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast. It's been a couple weeks and it's been a whirlwind of a few a last few weeks i a couple weeks ago i when was it like two and a half weeks ago yeah like two weeks ago i facilitated my first live workshop and there were over 50 people who attended the workshop was uh helping to provide guidance for people who had started or have started a DEI consultancy who want to start one. Um, It was called CC2C, which stands for From Corporate or College to Consulting. So anyone within corporate America or who teaches in academia who is thinking about pivoting into the DEI space, I wanted to curate a workshop to answer all of the questions that I get related to and regarding starting a DEI consultancy. So exciting news is that the playback is available for purchase. So the event was supposed to be an hour and a half and it ended up being two and a half, almost three hours. So it's jam packed full of content, full of me sharing my experiences, my journey, my trajectory, how I started a consultancy, becoming a Forbes uh, contributing writer, senior contributing writer now, and all of the things that I've been able to do along the way within the last four years since my business has been operating. So if you're interested in purchasing the replay, there is a link. I'll make it the first link in the show notes. So you can learn more about that and purchase a replay if you are interested. So hopefully you can't hear my neighbor's dog barking in the distance. I always feel like y'all can hear it. But then when I, I'm the one that edits my podcast. So when I like go back and edit it, I'm like, oh, it's actually not really visible. So it's a Saturday night. So hopefully there aren't, the area that we live in is like, there's a lot of like restaurants and bars, so I'm hoping that it's quiet, but it's like nighttime, so you may hear like sirens or people on their motorcycles, but we're going to put good energy out, and I'm going to record the episode for this week, which is the last week in July. Shout out to all my Leos out there. My partner is a Leo. 
A lot of my really, really close friends are Leos. So we are now approaching and entering Leo season. So for the, those of y'all who are into astrology, y'all know all about Leo season, but I'm an Aries. So I, I tend to go really well with and get along with folks who are Leos, which are people who were born. I think Leo season goes from July 23rd, which is today until August, maybe 22nd. So, um, happy birthday to all of y'all who are Leos. Some of my best friends are Leos. Um, but yeah, I, let me think housekeeping items. I, I'm thinking y'all, I've been thinking about hosting an in-person event. For those of you listening, some of y'all may have attended the diversity dinner dialogues which are now called the Dirty Diversity Dinner Series, but some of y'all may have attended the events that I did pre-COVID, and I've been kind of like missing those events. So I've been thinking, I don't know, maybe in August I'll post one. And you would think that if I'm like gonna do it in August, I would have already like planned it out. But there's a studio in Times Square that I do it, I host the events in, And they were really nice. They were offering me a good rate because of the nature of the event. And they believed in like the quote unquote social justice component of it. Um, And Papa John's was sponsoring my event. But I haven't since I haven't hosted an event in like a year and a half. I don't even know if the contact that I was in touch with that Papa John's is still there. So um, but I actually have a um, a acquaintance uh, that I know, I don't know what to call her, like a business partner, an acquaintance, somebody else that I'm acquainted with in the, in the DEI space. She actually does consulting, but she's based out of London or out of the UK. And she told me that she was interested in us hosting like a joint event. So I just want to make sure that her and I are aligned in what we are envisioning for the event. I will probably, if I do do an event, I'm thinking about making it, I I always like to make sure events and anything that I am a part of is accessible. I don't like overcharging and charging ridiculous amounts or exorbitant amounts of money. But what I did notice when I used to host these free events is that a lot of folks would RSVP and then half of them wouldn't show up. So I think when you're like, agreeing to go to a free event if other things come up and you're unable to attend there is a very low level of commitment right because it's like whatever it's a free ticket so i feel like to to um to avoid that i'm thinking that future events that i host will be like a nominal fee of 10 or 20 or even like 30 dollars because i think when you pay money for something there is more of a i forget what it's called there's like a a specific type of psychology behind it behavioral economics where like when you people are more um frustrated with when they feel like they've lost money um so when like in order to make sure that we're able to have an adequate and accurate headcount i think charging a nominal fee for future events is probably um gonna be what happens um, because again, like I would have like, let's say a hundred people RSVP for an event that I would host and then 40 would show up, right? So yeah, that's not, we're not going to be doing that this, this time. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. And if I do decide if, if the stars align 
and that event is able to um, happen, I will, of course, my podcast listeners will be one of the first people to know that. Um, So some of y'all, let's jump into the episode. Some of y'all may have seen, but if you did not see, let's get a drum roll. In the last few episodes, I was talking about like, oh, some big announcement that I had to make. I didn't want to like say it then because I'm the type of person, I know I've shared this with y'all before. I don't like to speak on things before they've happened. I'm like super, super, super duper superstitious. And my mom always taught me don't count your eggs before they've hatched. And I don't like to come on social media or on my podcast and say these things are going to happen before they've manifested. Um, part of the reason I think is because I, I believe in a form of the evil eye where, and I know that in Islam, it's very similar. So one of my best friends is Muslim and she told me in Islam, like they believe in the evil eye. And I know other religions believe in the evil eye, but in Islam, they believe like, you know, when people sometimes see your success and see your happiness, they don't always have the best intentions and wishes for you. And that energy could affect and impact what you're able to manifest. And so I just have always, since I've been young, I've always been like this where I just don't like to talk about things until they've happened, right? So I wanted to wait to share that with y'all when I gave my resignation letter. And last Friday, I gave my resignation letter. I do a series yeah I think I'm gonna do that actually I think I'm gonna do like a four-part series on my experiences because now I can speak more candidly I was working in a predominantly white institution all of my experiences teaching I've taught at three different institutions in the tri-state area so in New York and in Connecticut and you know they're different faces of the same coin very similar issues and i think that academia is not what happens in academia is not dissimilar from what happens in corporate a lot of the same issues that my friends share with me when it comes to corporate are very similar to you know what what i experience in academia and it's it's nice to know that I'm not alone in my experiences, but it's also really disheartening that many other people are experiencing what I experienced and worse, right? So I'm going to probably do like maybe in August, I think I'll do like a four-part series where I um, talk about that. Maybe not in, let me think about it actually. When is August 1st? Because I'm going to record two episodes tonight and Today is, so one will drop actually on the 25th, which is July 25th, which is Monday, which is my usual podcast day. The other will drop August 1st, so maybe I'll start that series with the next episode. We'll see, but I think there's a lot that could be learned, and I really want to unpack my experiences, and now I'm really happy and glad that I can speak candidly about everything that I experienced. I've been teaching um, in academia, so in higher ed for the last seven years. It's been over seven years now. Um, So it was a little bit bittersweet to leave, but it was like, I felt like I was suffocating, right? And I wanted to leave in 2020, but business had slowed and I had my health insurance through my job. And of course, like 
I, I was watching this MSN MSNBC video. I, I'm like a YouTube head, so I, I was I'm always on YouTube. Um, I have YouTube premium. I share a YouTube premium with my family member, and I'm always watching videos, right? And with YouTube premium, I feel like I've talked about this before. This is not a shameless plug. They don't pay me to say this, but I do really feel like that ten dollars a month that I pay is is a great investment because you can listen to YouTube videos like podcasts, right? So you don't have to have the screen on, which is what for uh, iPhone users. We can't like, and then you have ads, which is super annoying. I can, I can listen to an hour and a half video without any ads, right? Which is great. But now the YouTubers have gotten smart and they put the ads into the video. So they'll like do a commercial in a video, right? So they've gotten hip to it. But anyway, um, so I was watching this MSNBC video and it popped up and it was like, um, how the recession is impacting business owners or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is really fascinating. Um, actually, I think it was on like healthcare. It was like health insurance for during the recession. Some, something that I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I watched it and they were talking about how, I think it's called the golden handcuffs, how health insurance in the United States is like golden handcuffs and it chains people to their jobs, right? Jobs that they may be unhappy working in because a lot of people are terrified of not having healthcare. And I felt like I was a, um, I felt like I was a, um, I was chained to my job and I didn't want to feel like that anymore. So I decided that I'm not going to do it. And I, I mean, I could have done this in 2020 because my business, unfortunately, like, I say unfortunately because of the circumstances, but my business was making, generating a lot more rev revenue than what I make as a professor, right? So I was at some point making double what I made as a professor in my business. So it was kind of like, why am I still doing this? But I was like, oh, you know, my health insurance. That was all that it ever was, right? And, you know, my partner was like, uh, you know, oh, it's good to stay in academia, um, because, you know, I think a lot of people are like lured by the prestige, quote unquote, the supposed prestige of being a professor. I'm not the type of person who's wooed or wowed by like titles. And I don't think that those things matter if you're not happy. It doesn't matter if you are a professor, if you're unhappy. And that's how I was feeling. And I felt like that for two years. I tried to like, it was like an, it was almost like a, um, a relationship, right? A romantic relationship where you're being, um, you're experiencing some form of trigger warning. You're experiencing some form of abuse, right? Whether that's emotional um, abuse or a diff whatever form of abuse, right? And I felt like I was being abused, but then they would like woo me in with, you know, whatever the case may be, every year my, my salary was going up, right? And I found out that I was being substantially underpaid, right? And um, when I found out that I was being underpaid, that was part of the reason why I left is because I found out, and I'm like, very transparent when it comes to like salary and stuff like that. So I'll get into all of that in another episode. But I found out I was getting underpaid. And I think that was like the icing on the cake. I found that out in November of 2021. 
And I told my partner, if I was still feeling this way, I'm going to leave at the end of the school year. My partner said I should, you know, stick it out, see how I feel. And I, I, I did it, you know, because of I, I didn't want to be I, I can tend to be impulsive. Um, I knew that my mind wasn't going to change, but I just was like, let me wait it out. And I, I didn't change my mind. So I left. Um, but I'm going to do a whole like four part series um, unpacking where the university academia as a whole goes wrong because it's not dissimilar from tech from uh, any other industry or space um healthcare um you know whatever it is like all of these organizations and institutions have very pervasive issues that are very similar and my issues that i experienced are not unlike what other people are currently experiencing and it's of ever increasing importance for companies to really prioritize what employees are feeling because we are still in the great resignation and um and researchers predict that through the end of 2021 people will still feel the same way right and still be quitting their jobs so i'll share more of that in another episode but i i wanted to talk a little bit about two different things right the first thing I'm sure y'all listening have already heard about the whole debacle with Sesame Place, but I thought that that was a really good, that was a really prime example that deserves to be unpacked of a organization giving lip service. And I wanted to provide suggestions for a company like Sesame Place that finds themselves in hot water that is engaging in racist behaviors and discriminatory actions and what organizations must do to avoid that. So that's the first thing. And I did write an article about this, which I will put in the show notes. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to talk about is um, Maybe I'll, actually I'll, I'll, I might do that in a, in a separate episode. I could break that up, right? Because I like to keep these episodes short. So let's unpack Sesame Place, Sesame Street. By now, I'm sure we all know what happened. You know, I don't need to go into that much detail. But if you've been like vacationing, let's say, right? Because y'all, I'm about to take a vacation. I'm not going to tell y'all where. But those of y'all who follow me on Instagram, if you don't follow me, there's a link to my Instagram in the show notes. You'll see where I am because y'all know I don't like to speak on things before they've happened. But I'm taking a vacation this week um, and I'm so excited, right? It's my partner's birthday. We try to do like this annual trip. So I'm really excited. But so um, uh, back to what I was saying. When I go on vacation, I disconnect from social media, right? I don't look on the news websites and I don't see what's happening. I don't have news notifications on my phone. So there may be folks who like have been vacationing, right? And they were out of the loop and they haven't been paying attention. So if you are one of those people, I will just really briefly give like a summary of, of what I'm talking about, right? So Sesame Street, um, so, so Sesame Street they or Sesame Place rather there was an incident that happened where the um a woman brought her daughter and her niece to Sesame's place to a Sesame Place um parade in I believe it was Philadelphia Pennsylvania and uh the woman got on video that there was a character in Sesame Place who ignored 
her daughter and her niece, right? And it was very obvious and the video went viral and it caused this, it rightfully caused this uproar um, and stir, right? And so that situation happened. And then after, I guess, a, after some black parents saw it, there were other videos that came out where people were sharing that they had taken their children to Sesame Street or Sesame Place events. And a similar thing happened, right? Where you see this barrage of videos where parents are sharing their kids were also ignored, right? So you see that it's very obvious that there's an issue that Sesame Place, so Sesame Street, I guess, is under, the, the organization itself is named Sesame Place, right? And you see through these videos that Sesame Place has a big issue on their hands, right? So I wanted to unpack three things that can be learned from this horrific situation of anti-blackness and of racism and three things that companies must prioritize in order to avoid the type of situation that Sesame Place has found itself in right now. Okay, so the first thing that any organization, any workplace has to think about is anti-racist hiring practices. Like, how are you actually hiring people into the organization? Because the issue with Sesame Place, just like with many other organizations, is that they're not doing enough to ensure that the people that they hire are anti-oppressive and anti-racist, right? So with the Sesame Street incident that happened, the there was a person inside the Rosita costume, right? And me, I didn't watch Sesame Street a lot growing up. I don't know if it was past my era or I wasn't like, I think it was like after my era, right? I wasn't a big Sesame Street person. So I don't know all the characters and I didn't know this character, but there's the character there are different characters like Elmo and Big Bird that everyone knows. And then there's this character, Rosita, right? And so the person who was inside the Rosita costume, we don't know who that person is yet as of me recording this, as far as I know. And we don't know if Sesame Street is actually going to fire that person, right? Because there was another video that came out of another, a separate parent who I, I believe it was the person in the Rosita costume, allegedly, right? Um, also was ignoring their child. And so um, it, how what, what, what did Sesame Place and what are workplaces actually doing to ensure that the people that they're hiring into the organizations are people who are anti-racist and anti-oppressive, right? What sorts of questions are you asking in the hiring interview to ensure that this person not only knows how to do the job and is equipped with the the knowledge, the skills, and ability to do the job, but they are also aware of things like the adultification bias, right? So if you are a, a, a person working with black children, you sh it should be mandatory for you to know, learn, and understand what the adultification bias is. The adultification bias in the simplest terms is just this phenomenon where black children are seen as being older than what they actually are, right? And we saw this with, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name. Oh my goodness. The young boy, Tamir Rice, right? Um, I was struggling with that name. We saw this with Tamir Rice where the officer that actually um, ended up 
uh, interacting with Tamir Rice and then um, then shooting him had actually said that he thought that he was older than what he was. Tamir Rice was only 12 years old. And I think the officer said he looked, I don't remember how old the officer thought that Tamir Rice looked, but he was a child, right? And we see this phenomenon often where young black girls specifically are um, adultified and are seen as older than what they actually are and older than what they actually were, right? And so if you are a character at Sesame Place, right? You are interacting with children. You're a character at Disney, right? Disney needs to take notes, right? If you're working at Disney, if you're any organizational leader, but particularly those with who work around children, Disney needs to be taking notes. If you are a teacher, a school district, you need to be learning about or teaching employees about the adultification bias because the employees or the teachers may be displaying this bias when they're interacting with black children, which will lead to discrimination, anti-blackness, racism, a, a slew of different consequences, right? So um, who is ensuring that the employees at Sesame Place actually understood the adultification bias and they know about anti-blackness, they know about things like colorism? Who is actually ensuring this, right? And so there should be anti-racist practices, hiring practices baked into the fabric of the organization, right? What experience do employees have working with different populations of people? What experience do employees have working with different communities? Who's actually evaluating these job candidates? Is there a diverse group of people that are evaluating candidates or is it like one or two people, one or two hiring managers or recruiters making the final decision? There should be questions that are specifically designed to assess the diversity, equity, and inclusion focus that the individual actually has, right? So I think that if you find, like this is me giving y'all free game, free advice, right? If I were um, at Sesame Place, right? Let's say you have a job candidate who has all of the credentials and criteria and accolades and whatever, the knowledge, the skills, and the abilities, KSAs, that you're looking for, right? Um, but they lack that DEI lens, right? Or they have no experience, they don't understand DEI. If you're noticing that you are attracting a lot of candidates that are qualified, but that lack that DEI experience, then what you need to do is you need to actually be training and providing workshops and education for employees to ensure that they, you know, there's no gaps in their knowledge and their skills and their understanding. In addition to anti-racist hiring practices, there also has to be like a zero tolerance policy when it comes to racist behavior and discrimination, right? Like there should be a policy that if anyone behaves in a way that's deemed egregious enough, discriminatory enough, racist enough, they're fired on the spot, right? Because Di um, I was going to say Disney. It's not Disney. Sesame Place is dragging their feet with the firing of this individual. I don't know if they will fire them. They are concealing their identity, the individual's identity. Um, we don't know who it is. And I think that maybe legally they have to conceal this person's identity. But there should be like strict consequences for 
racism, right? If if I know that I'm going to lose my job because I behave in a discriminatory way, I'm going to make sure that I'm on my P's and my Q's and I'm not treating people unfairly, right? So I think there should be, there has to be consequences for, we have to make it costly to be anti-black. It has to be, until it's, it, it's costly to be anti-black, people will continue to be anti-black, right? I think that being anti-black, especially being anti-black and displaying misogynoir, making black women specifically, black women and femmes, the butt of the joke, I think is social currency. And that's a whole nother, maybe that's a whole nother podcast episode. Um, because I do think that there is a really disturbing practice of making black women the butt of all jokes, right? Or making making black women, treating black women, black women experience such harsh consequences, right? Such, such harsh, anytime, like black women aren't given the space to make mistakes or errors. And if we do, we are shunned more harshly than anyone else and, and more harshly than our peers. There's actually a um, another, an article that's been making its rounds. It came out like a couple years ago, but I guess someone po- reposted it on Twitter and I think it went viral again. But it's called, um, it's something about black women going from pet to threat in the workplace. It's a great article and a great read. So I'll put it in the show notes. But um, organizations and workplaces have to really make sure that there are strict policies against racist behavior and that you don't, you are like no nonsense about that, right? You don't leave room to like, how do I say it? You don't. You're not wavering when it comes to dealing with and addressing racist behavior because that can impact and fracture the trust that employees have. If if something happens, right, harm is caused to an employee or to a customer and you take too long to address it and to deal with it, that, that can really fracture the trust that the public has in you as an organization and that your employees have in you as an organization. So you don't want that obviously to happen. Um, So another thing that I would suggest for Sesame's Place and organizations in general is providing continued and ongoing education, right? And understanding, like taking consistent feedback of like what it is that employees need and where the gaps in their understanding lie and then providing education, right? So if there's been a lot of incidents with hair discrimination, right? or where people are not being inclusive to folks with invisible disabilities, right? Thinking about like creating um, or developing and inviting education to address those gaps is really, really important. So recognizing what issues exist within your organization is imperative. And the way that you do that is, is consistently seeking feedback from employees like what is it that employees need what is it that employees need to learn more about what will make employees more supportive of people from different communities so there should be a concerted effort there should be resources that are allocated to provide continuous education a lot of folks say training doesn't work training doesn't work training doesn't work and that's one of my main qualms with what Sesame Place, Sesame Place did 
along with what a lot of like they're not the only ones starbucks did it sephora sephora did it whenever companies find themselves in hot water their first go-to is like a um what is it called a bias training right so like let's do a bias training la 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 trainings never work when they're reactive right if you want to create an environment where people are continuously learning and growing and they have a better understanding of different communities, you need to proactively provide education for employees. You shouldn't wait till you have an issue to address the issue, right? It's almost like a person that is uh, that is intentional about taking care of their health when like, you don't wanna wait until you're told that there's an health, a health issue, right? You don't wanna wait until a doctor or some sort of medical practitioner tells you there's an issue. You wanna take preventative measures. You wanna be eating foods that nourish your body and make you feel good. You wanna be incorporating some sort of movement into your lifestyle. You wanna be integrating joy practices into your lifestyle. For me, I'm big with, I'm like a gym rat. I love to go to the gym and it brings me a sense of, um, joy and it is also really beneficial for my mental health and my mental well-being. I feel like being stuck in the house during COVID was not good for my mental health. I was just like, it was just not good. I was not feeling, I was not in a good place as I'm sure many of us just weren't. There was so much fear and uncertainty. But, you know, like making sure that you're providing that education for employees is vital. You need to really make sure that you are seeking feedback from employees, understanding what their needs are, and then providing that continuous education. You don't wanna wait until the doctor tells you you have this issue. You wanna make sure that you're taking, um, you're taking the measures to make sure that those health issues, quote unquote, don't arise in your workplace, right? So you wanna make sure that your workplace is healthy and thriving, um, and you don't wanna take reactive measures. And then the last piece of advice that I would give to Sesame Place is taking customer evaluations and appraisals seriously. I'm sure, I don't know the ins and outs of Sesame Place, but I'm sure Sesame Place, like any other organization, has a suggestion box or has a feedback box. Um, they might not. If that's not something they have, that's something they definitely need to implement. Like when you leave the theme park or when you leave sesame place when you leave a parade if there was some sort of inequitable or unfair treatment customers and consumers should be able to leave feedback is step one and then that feedback should be evaluated and should be taken into consideration periodically right so are you providing customers with the opportunity to rate and evaluate the employees that they interact with because what the sesame's place incident and there's a motorcycle in the background, super annoying. What the Sesame Place incident really highlighted was that this has been an issue, right? If parents had those videos in their phones, obviously this is an issue. And I, I refuse to believe none of those parents complained to Sesame Place. You're telling me that I don't have children, but I can only imagine what those parents felt. You're telling me this character, and it's likely a character that the ch child loves, right? Imagine you have a child and they love Elmo or they love Big Bird or they love Rosita or who, whomever. They love their, this character. You take them to meet 
this character and they get ignored by that character. I'm I would be up there complaining, right? And so I'm like, what is the process to actually file a complaint about a situation that happens, right? And I don't know if Sesame Place allows that uh, allows cu customers to do that. If they don't, they need to to allow that or provide that. Good example, right? At the gym that I go to, um, I am I'm just a feedback. I like to give feedback, and one of the things that really irked me, right, is Fourth of July just passed, and they so the gym closed early. It's supposed to be 24 hours Monday through through Thursday, and then on weekends they close early, right? And so Fourth of July this year fell on a Monday, right? So they closed early, and I got to the gym maybe an hour. I got to the gym an hour and a half before they closed, right? So I was like, okay, they close at this time. I'm going to get my little workout in. I got an hour and a half. 45 minutes into my workout, they were like, we're going to close soon. We're going to close soon. And I was like, bro, how are y'all going to close when the sign said 1 p.m.? I got there at 1130. By 1215, they were like kicking people, trying to kick people out. And I was so, y'all, I was so infuriated because I was like, I pay. Yes, I pay a nominal fee for membership, but I pay for this particular gym because of the hours, right? I pay for this gym because of the hours because y'all stay open later and I'm like, I go to the gym at weird hours and I never want to get to the gym and it's like, oh, it's closed, right? Why are you closing 45, 30 to 45 minutes early, right? Because it's a holiday. But if you say you close at a certain time, you should close at that time, right? I'm one of those people, right? Where I'm like, I've worked in banking before, right? And there were so many times I wanted to leave. The bank closes at six o'clock. I wanted to leave at 5.30, but people need to, do transactions, right? I have a job to do. And it's unfair to ask people to, like people will not be able to do the things that they need to do financially because I wanna close up early, right? And I felt that that was so, I just was so annoyed. And I wanted to call it corporate, but I just was like, I'm not, I'm just lazy, right? I'm not gonna do all that. but. Hypothetically, let's say at this gym there was an incident that happened where one of the employees treated a customer or a patron or a member of the gym unfairly. How would they know that this is a repeated practice, right? And none of the people who worked at the gym treated me unfairly, but if they did, I don't know the process to file a formal complaint. It's very, it's probably very convoluted. I probably have to fill something out online. I don't know where it goes. Maybe I have to call corporate. But like anybody listening to this, stop for a moment and think about within the organization that I am affiliated with, maybe it's your own organization, maybe you're a business owner. What is the formal process to file a complaint, right? Because I put money on the fact that at Sesame Place, it's probably not an easy process to file a complaint, right? If I'm a parent, I watch my child get ignored by one of the characters, I wanna immediately fill out some paper and know that that feedback is being taken into consideration. There probably is you know, a system to, um, to take the feedback, but the question that remains unanswered is that is whether Sesame Place actually takes that feedback into consideration, right? 
Issues of racism are easier to spot and address before they manifest into larger problems if you're consistently assessing feedback. So when those small issues come up where a employee is rude to a customer and it's something consistently happening, you're able to address it immediately rather than waiting until it blows up into a viral video, right? So like making sure that you have a formal process that's not convoluted, that's not complicated to file for for employees and for customers to file complaints, right? Um, many organizations have like a standard practice where customers can get feedback, but it's often done as a cosmetic sort of thing. And that feedback, like you might have a file worth or an email's worth of feedback, but it's not taken into consideration. I just know my gym, there's not an easy process to file a complaint. You email the individual gym, because I think they're, I don't know, I think they're franchisee owner, or I, I don't know how it works actually. I don't know if an individual can own the gym. I don't think, I don't know actually. But I think you like email that specific gym but how do I know that my email is being taken into consideration, right? How do I know? And there should be a way to like rate the the gym, right? Or rate the organization, kind of like Amazon, right? Where I can see a rating, an average rating of all of the people that have ever interacted with this business or with this company, right? Because with the larger gyms that are chains, you can see online the overall customer experience, but you don't know the specific experience in that particular location. So I would love to see that, right? So I, you know, I just feel like there is several ways that Sesame Place could have avoided this. They could have taken customer feedback into consideration. Any parent that's ever complained, they should have investigated those claims and they should have provided employees with continuous education, anti, you know, anti-racism and anti-oppression education and workshops. Um, that should have been something already baked into the fabric of this role. How much y'all want to bet it's not, right? Or it wasn't prior to this incident. And then there, before an employee even steps in the door and starts the job, there should be anti-racist hiring practices to make sure that like, if this person is coming in and doesn't have any sort of understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion, that we are providing them with the tools and the resources to better understand and better be better equipped to engage in anti-racist and anti-oppressive um, and liberatory and justice-oriented behavior. So um, that is where I'll leave today's episode. This was the longer one, so y'all get a little treat. Um, but thank y'all so much for listening. I love y'all. I'm going to try to be more consistent. I was, um, the last few weeks I've just been recovering from the July 7th, um, the July 7th workshop was just like mind blowing. It was so much fun and just like, I really enjoyed it. I'm actually thinking maybe I'll do something like that once a quarter or twice a year, um, depending on my bandwidth. But I do feel like I wish I had that resource and I was only charging um, $99.99, which I think is really good because the information I was giving is something that a coach would charge that hundreds or thousands of dollars for, and I was doing it for like $100, right? Because I don't want to like, 
I'm really not a capitalist at heart, y'all. But um, that's where I'm going to leave today's episode. I love y'all. Thank y'all so much for listening. I hope you found this to be informative. If you want to read more about my thoughts regarding Sesame Place, I left a link to an article I wrote. And any other links that I mentioned are in the show notes. Also, the there's a link to watch the playback of the CC2C workshop that I did where I'm helping people um, I'm providing guidance for any of y'all that want to start consultancy. So all of that is in the show notes. Thank y'all so much for listening. And I will check y'all out in the next episode.